Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pals David Moore and Evan Grant. David is out in lovely Oxnard, California. Yeah, we're back here uh, boiling like frogs in water. And David, <laughs> what's what's the temperature in Oxnard as we're doing oh. this now? It was a little chilly to get in the water. I, I don't know if you want to do that out here unless you have a wetsuit. Podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh, all three of us in a wetsuit. Should we uh, do that? That'd, that'd be a, oh, no. pretty sight. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything about marine layers and all that other stuff, or I'm going to start dropping uh, Italy references. Oh, oh, it burned off early today. Oh, oh, Italy, where it was only 107 in Rome when you were there? <laughs> 102. I think it was four, 42 yeah. degrees Celsius, but, you know, I can't quite do the math. So that doesn't sound nearly as bad, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. So, yeah. <laughs> David, I'm questioning uh, Zach Martin's sanity if he doesn't want to report to training camp. If I had a chance to be an Oxnard, I'm going to Oxnard. He doesn't have to do anything. But he just needs to go to Oxnard and not stay here in Dallas. Just get away. Yeah. Well, how do we know he's in Dallas? He may, be on a nice, he may be in a nice uh, mountain vacation somewhere right now. As Maybe he's he is. On let's, his own let's, hope so. <laughs> yeah, let's hope he is. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. So, David, tell us uh, where we need to be here uh, uh, in, in, uh, in in keeping our scorecard on the Cowboys and the guys that are they're trying to sign, guys that are being signed. And of course, it's been reported now that uh, that Trayvon Diggs has signed a five-year deal for $97 million. Zach Martin is holding out. Uh, there are a number of other guys lined up behind them. I, I wonder if you could give us an idea of what the priorities are here and what – uh, fans might expect to happen here before the Cowboys get out of training camp. Yeah, well, very quick, quickly uh, to address like Zach Martin's holdout. I think it's when you look at the financial landscape and what the Cowboys need to do going forward, it makes strategic sense for Zach Martin to force the issue now because they have so many lucrative long-term contracts on key players that they want to get done here over the next 12 to 18 months that uh, I think he sees where he could kind of get lost in the shuffle there. So in my belief, even though he has two years left on his deal uh, and his deal, while it set the market when he signed back in 2018, it is now well below market for based on his performance level. Um, you know, I, I see why he's pushing the issue now, but, but talk about the, the Cowboys uh, ability to, to quickly change the narrative. Um, you know, going in on the opening press conference on Tuesday, the, the narrative was, well, okay, you feel good about things, but here is one of the best, most dominant players in the league in your offensive line. And he's not here at camp. How are you going to resolve this? How are you going to work through this? And then one hour after that's over, suddenly you're saying, Oh, well, you just wrapped up and signed one of your best young defensive players and best young corners in the league. And, and, um, uh, so you're set there. Uh, to, to me, that the dig signing was significant because, as we talked about, with all the contracts that they need to get done and the play, the young players in place and this nucleus they want to keep together, uh, Trayvon Diggs, CD Lamb, uh, Terrence Steele. Uh, Tony Pollard, who's playing this year on a franchise tag. Micah Parsons, uh, who is going to command a massive contract. Uh, redoing Dak Prescott. All of that, uh, it was imperative that before the season got underway, they signed at least one of these guys to a long-term extension. And I thought either Diggs or C.D. Lamb was the most likely. And as long as they were able to get Diggs or C.D. Lamb it gives them a little more latitude to operate and get these done going forward. But if you had not signed Diggs to this long-term deal, and I think they still would like to sign another one uh, with, with these young players, but if you didn't remove just one from the list, you stood a very good chance there was no way you're going to retain all of these players going forward. So now they've kind of given themselves a fighting chance here. Um, the, the priority, I would argue at this point, because where they where they're staggered contractually in years, 
I mean, Micah Parsons is going to get the most money, but his is the farthest away from when you need to get done. It's really kind of the end of the 18 months to, to two years from now you need to get that done. Uh, to me, C.D. Lamb is the priority, but from what my understanding talking to people is, I don't think the two sides are really that close at the moment. So I would not be surprised at this point if the, the Cowboys kind of didn't shift and go, well, maybe let's go ahead and get something with Terrence Steele done here. Uh, let's get him and then let's uh, adjust this Zach Martin contract and, and go into the season. So that's that's kind of how I would anticipate it going forward now. But but their ability to sign digs before this camp even began is is significant. So uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, and and the and the deal for uh, uh, digs was was not prohibitive. Uh, you know, it's a, I guess it was tied uh, with Marsh, uh, Marshawn Lattimore for yeah. fifth highest average. In the league. Yeah, fifth highest average. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And and you know, as we as we know, these contracts just get bigger and bigger and uh and and in another two or three years it, it, it'll probably be less than that uh yeah you know, well this is interesting too i'll say this too because you know we we've had this conversation in the past where uh you know so many fans were saying oh well the you know look how much money the cowboys cost themselves by not signing Dak prescott earlier if they would have gotten out of ahead of the contract they wouldn't have had to pay him as much and boy they really cost themselves and one, that ignores the fact that Dak Prescott didn't want to fast forward that contract. He knew exactly what he was doing and and taking his time to do it. But two, Zach Martin's the other example of that, right? They jumped out ahead in Zach Martin. He set the market. He was the highest paid guard in the league for a couple of years after he signed that contract in 2018. And now, while arguably still the best guard in the league, I believe he's ninth in average, you know, so or seventh. So and what's happening? Well, this doesn't reflect where I am. So, so my point is, people who say you need to jump out ahead of these contracts to save yourself money, if the player is still performing at a high level, you're still going to have to address with where he's performing over the length of the contract. So it's not as easy as just like jumping out early to save the team some money. All of that being said, this is a very representative contract that they did with Trayvon Diggs. Yeah, that's an interesting point about that because, as you said, if a guy is performing at some point, if you got him on a good deal, uh, you're just going to have to go back in and give him more money. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, sure, I, I could certainly see that with a Micah Parsons. If you if you had gotten him on a great deal, you cannot afford to lose him. Of all these players, you know, they're and they're all really good players, and they're all key players. There's no question about that for the foundation of the Cowboys and what they're trying to do for years. But, but Micah Parsons is a difference maker. That, that's yes. that's the guy you simply can't lose for any reason, and you're going to end up having to give him whatever he wants. And then when, that's when you yeah. said, this and, is a, and they will not lose him, and so yeah, they will not lose him, and so you know you're dealing with that going forward. So how well positioned are you to do that and not cut uh, more roster spots than you need with good players to get that done down the road, and all of that. All of that work's being done now, long before you actually get to his contract. Yeah, no question about that. So let's look at C.D. Lamb's deal. Uh, so I'm assuming uh, – I'm trying to remember Tyreek Hill's deal. Isn't he the highest paid wide receiver at the moment? Uh, yeah, I believe the time. I, I think I've that, been dealing in the uh, cornerback world here lately, and all the numbers run together. Well, yes, I, I think I that Tyreek's making close to $30 million. Uh, yeah. And and I'm, I'm just wondering if C.D. is thinking if, – if if uh, I, I'm thinking that that 20 is not the AAV he's looking for, I'm thinking 25 no, no. million probably at least uh, is probably what he's aiming for, don't you? Well, 20 was what they didn't want to pay Amari Cooper, so they moved on from him, right? Right. And moving on from Cooper, you chose Lamb, knowing he's a younger guy, the average is just going to go up. Uh, and you had a, a huge explosion on the wide receiver market last year. So, so you know. C.D. Lamb's in a position where if he puts up another big year or builds on what he did last year, uh, then he's really uh, his his value is going to soar even more. So I, I think that's where I think that's why you're unlikely to to, to see anything done with Lamb. I, I think it's it's very difficult at this time. I think he's going to want where the market is going 
which is beyond where his actual performance is at this point. And the Cowboys are going to be going, well, no, let's do this and kind of get it, get it done. But, um, but, but the Cowboys know that too. And, and um, I think, I think really both sides are on some level comfortable just playing it out this year. While, while having said that, certainly the Cowboys would rather uh, tie in the long-term security, but, but I think they also realize they're not going to be able to do it at these current numbers uh, the, the way they want to get it done. Yeah. You know, the thing that's a, a problem for the Cowboys side, uh, and, and certainly this is all for, uh, for CDs is that I read a stat this year that, uh, this summer that Dak's quarterback rating was, uh, like 97, uh, something, uh, when he's throwing the ball to CD lamb and like 50 something when I'm throwing yep. to everybody else. Uh, show, so it shows the value and the connection that those two have together. And if, if you're, if the idea is to make this offense more Dak friendly, well then CD lamb's the, the friendliest guy there. And, uh, and they, yep. they can't do anything to, uh, to damage that relationship. No. And, and he should have, uh, again, with the addition of Brandon cooks, who, who has been a thousand yard receiver in this league for six seasons, six different seasons, which not a lot of receivers can say. And um, Michael Gallup just looks like, I mean, he's moving so much better than he did at any point last year. Uh, his struggles were apparent last year coming back off that injury. Uh, but just his, his mindset and physically where he is now. Um, and with Cooks and with Lamb's development, um, I think that's where Gallup really is, right? He's a he's a second slash third receiver who can have big games, but uh, I think that's kind of his role. He's kind of in that second to three, you know, two three spot, not a lead guy. So now you have a, a lead guy, you have a guy who can stretch the defense vertically with Cooks, um, and, and you have Gallup coming back in to to do what he does. So I, I think they. They, they feel very good about where the receiving core is right now, which you could not really say uh, in, in training camp last year with Gallup coming back off the injury, not even practicing, and C.D. Lamb really the only viable guy out there. So you were saying that uh, Gallup looks better and moving better. I'm wondering if, uh, if you've been able – obviously, they've just been there. Uh, you, you probably wouldn't have any idea, but what does Tony Pollard look like? Uh, how is he moving around? What's his status at this point? Well, uh, you know, he's completely cleared. He's not starting on pup. That being said, I, uh, my understanding is they're going to uh, limit him and not give him a heavy workload here early in camp. Uh, he seem, he seems to be moving pretty well. We did see him in the OTAs, and he was in for a part of the work. Um, but, you know, every team now, they don't do a lot with their, their lead running back in, in uh, training camp because they – uh, don't want to wear them into the ground uh, going into the season. So I would expect it would be limited. But so what you're looking for with him is just, does he still have that same flash and burst when he gets, uh, you know, when he has an opening? And uh, I think they'll put him in drills where we'll be able to see whether or not that's still there. And, you know, that's that's a key element of his game, right? Because that's what Tony Pollard sure value is i mean for he, sure he saw many times he's the kind of guy he's he's one of the oddest good running backs i've ever seen you know uh he runs straight up uh which is not good uh for most guys you know eric dickerson can get away with it because he was huge yeah, because yeah. he was so fast uh tony's not huge and and i've always wondered if, if these things were part of the reasons why at Memphis that they didn't use him as an every down back. And the Cowboys didn't do that, obviously, either when they first got him. It was the feeling that, boy, you know, uh, he, he's such a home run threat here, and he's kind of a, a little bit of a unicorn in, in what we want him to do. But we don't want to just take, take it the ball and shove it in his stomach, you know, 20, 25 times a game, obviously, and, and make him run into the line. Because we see lots of times where Tony stopped for no game. Uh, yeah. and in which that was the value of Zeke Elliott, of course, that he was always going to get something uh, and was always going to grind out some yardage for you. Tony's really not that kind of running back. Uh, and so uh, if if he is compromised at all by his injury uh, and it robs any of that home run threat, well, then his value is greatly diminished in my mind. Exactly, because you're not going to give him additional carries to, get, to see if he can do that, right? Uh, right. I think we – 
we we have found what his is and what his workload is. And you know, for, for years, fans were going, "Oh, give him more carries, give him more carries." Well, he he got that last year, and and, and even though he's the lead back this year. I don't think he's going to get many more touches than what he had last year. I, I think they feel that, you know, well, we, we kind of maxed him out, you know, and and look at his performance late in the season. It wasn't as good as it was for the, you know, the first three quarters of the season. So uh, Tony Pollard's usage is something they're always going to be, uh, you know, always going to be cognizant and aware of to, to monitor. So, you know, who, however they fill in those other carries – um, I I don't think Tony Pollard is going to be getting many more touches than he did last year. And again, he was just he was remarkably uh, effective in the number of touches he had. So I think they feel the the usage formula is in place for him. But now, how are they? You know, who's going to be around him? What what are they going to do with those other opportunities? And and uh, how many will each of these guys be able to carve out for themselves? Yeah, that's why I'm really intrigued by Deuce Vaughn. You know, he's I. I, I love little backs like that. You know, it seems like everyone who's made it into the league uh, has been productive, you know, and mm-hmm. obviously yeah. the, the biggest case uh, and certainly very relevant to Deuce Vaughn is, uh, of course, uh, uh, Darren Sproles. So uh, I, I do think that, that a, a guy like that might be very uh, productive. And, and uh, Well, well, to get to this point, guy. to even have the opportunity, you have to be a special guy, right, at that size. Yeah. I mean, you have yeah. to have something really special about you just to put yourself into this position in the NFL. So there, there's something there. Will they be able to find a role uh, that allows him to showcase that? Yeah, we'll, we'll see what that's going to happen. So, Dave, give us an idea now of what the Cowboys schedule is. You know, this is going to be the first, as we're taping this on Wednesday, this is the first practice day, but not the first padded practice, which is not until, I guess you said, Monday. Next Monday, yeah. Give us yeah. an idea of what's going to happen here. Well, this is uh, really that this is the ramp up stage, the the first week of camp these days. Uh, whereas before they would come in and, and hit the ground running with two a days, uh, those days are long gone. Uh, these are uh, they're ramping up, uh, and and you will see them slowly do a little bit more in each of these practices. T- today is just kind of to get out there. And, uh, it, it's more than going through the motions. I mean, they, you know, they have to do it with a, uh, a sense of urgency and a pace that that's beyond just going through the motions, but there's, you know, there's not going to be much to today or, or tomorrow. They'll ramp up, do a little bit more, a little more speed, maybe do some, some minimal, um, you know, work, but yeah, the, the, the first, the first true hitting doesn't come until next Monday. And then you have to monitor that because you just can't go from zero to 60 when it comes to hitting and uh, just go all out. So more so than ever, this is about making sure these guys are in good condition, making sure they know the plays, making sure they know where they need to be. It's more mental reps in a lot of ways than, than overextending them physically. But now how do you get enough physical work to fine tune and be ready for the start of the season? And that's, uh, that's becoming more and more difficult. But again, these, all of these teams adapt and these are, you know, elite athletes. They can, they can get it done just because it's different than the way teams used to prepare. Doesn't mean it's worse. No, not, no, it's not. And, you know, I, I'll tell you what was worse is uh, when they had training camp in Wichita Falls. Oh my gosh. And even in Austin, you know, what a bad idea those those days were. Like, don't you don't you remember in the in the after they got out of those and in the first couple of games of the season, the Cowboys looked terrible, you know. Uh, and the, I remember thinking that, that the feeling was is that these guys are all gassed. Everybody else in the league has been working out in seventy degree, you know, uh, weather, and the Cowboys are, are practicing in, in hundred degree weather. There's there's nothing to be gained from that. People can say you can acclimate yourself to stuff. There's nothing to be gained from working in that kind of weather. No, you just wear yourself down and stress. Your, yeah, and, and what happened, you know, was, there was that one year in Wichita Falls, and again, they would practice early morning and, and late afternoon, and I still remember there was a stretch where even with that morning practice and late afternoon practice, they had seven consecutive practices where the heat index was like 101 or more. Oh, and sure. And what happened is, and you don't talk about this that much, but, you know, I was talking to the coaches back then. What happened was they had to reduce their practice workload by a third. 
So now suddenly, now do that seven times, whatever. So you're, you're taking out that, you know, you're taking out hundreds fewer snaps to go through what you want to run during the season just so you can get through practice and you're not exhausting guys. So you're losing the repetition. You're losing the mental work as far as going through and, and, and executing the play. So, it, it, you know, even beyond physically, it just has an impact because the, the workload just can't be as great. No. And, you know, and when you're and as far as the act, you know, being acclimatized to the, to the, to the weather, yeah. that's bogus now because you're playing in Jerry world. It's, it's air conditioned. So yes, there, there's no real benefit and trying to, to do that kind of thing and that kind of workload. And so, yeah, yeah, when the Cowboys opened the preseason with a 4 o'clock kickoff at AT&T Stadium against the Jacksonville Jaguars in three weeks, I don't believe the roof will be open. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. All right, David, we know you got to get out of here, and we appreciate you taking the time. you got stuff to do. Evan and I, we don't. We're just going to sit around and, and shoot the bull uh, for a little while about talk about the Rangers and the trade deadline and all that. But uh, you will Evan keep Evan was just glaring uh, at me. Evan's glaring at yeah. me now. Uh, he's just glaring at everybody. I think he's actually in a coma. <laughs> no, I'm not glaring. I, I'm very disappointed that we didn't get into um, lots of Jerry hijinks about his any pronunciations that he made uh, during his – annual state of the organization speech he was he was <laughs> remarkably disciplined in this one he, he did mention about gnawing a leg off at one point but that was about uh <laughs> that was about the and that's mild were, for jerry there were no yeah, glory holes or anything this week this time no I, I i thought the funniest moment was actually uh toward the end asked him about um if he's getting a little more sentimental now that he only has about 20 or 25 of these left in him at the age of 80 training camps. And uh, <laughs> he got a little more sentimental at these. And, and then he launches into the story as Jerry does like he's going, Oh, well, you know, uh, you know, just driving up and, you know, I'm, I'm in the same room I've been here for the last 10 or 11 years. And I just get the, I get a feeling when I drive up. And, and even though that room is like less than what my dorm room was back in Arkansas, it's just, boy, oh you just have a great gosh. feel and your excitement. And, and I just can't wait to get in that room. Then he pauses and goes, of course, now at night I slip out the back and go sleep at the Biltmore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet that's true, too. I don't think, I, I think any, yes, it's true. I don't think it is true. At all. <laughs> why didn't he have the, why didn't he have the USS Jerry like anchored off of the the bay there? Yeah. Oxnard Bay. True that. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, David. We'll see you and uh keep us updated here if anything big happens, okay? You can break sure in will. anytime you want. We'll do, guys. Thanks. Bye, okay. David. Well, there, there, there goes David. Evan, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the trade deadline, the, the series with the Astros. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm going to start with the series with the Astros and, and do a little bit about that as we're taping this that's going into game three. Uh, they are now holding, the Rangers are now holding a tenuous one-game lead in the division over the Astros. I got to tell you, this, this series with the Astros this year uh, – has never been more riveting or more uh, circus-like. I, I just don't recall at any time in this uh, in the history of these two teams playing. Usually, it's one team dominates the other, and and then the games usually aren't very good or compelling. And and these games, you know, it's hard for me to believe that in that last series of the series here in, in Arlington, where the Rangers got up in that big slugfest, and then they were up, but then they blew the lead in the end and they lost on a walk off. And then the same thing happened essentially in this series in Houston, in which they lost the, the first game of that series. Those are those are just demoralizing losses. And I and I get I heard Steve Bouchelle say after the game, well, it's okay to, to lose a silver boot if you're going to win the AL West, which is obviously true. Uh, and I think they could still do that. Uh, but I think that's and, been on a lot of players' minds too, like. It's okay if we lose the silver boot so long as we, we win the AOS. I'm, I'm going to guess the silver boot has not entered anybody's train of thought. No, it's not. But you have to wonder at some point if, you know, it's like Chaz McCormick. My gosh, they're putting him in the Hall of Fame. He's the, he's the new Corey Seager. I mean, not new Corey Seager. He's a, a, the new Kyle Seager. 
You know, it's just like he's an he's a Rangers killer. It's just yeah. unbelievable how he played. I don't even know why you pitched him anymore. It was a little bit like in the previous series. One of my sons texted me when they were playing the Rangers were playing the Dodgers. It's like, why are they pitching to Freddie Freeman? Why why don't they just give him a free pass here? Don't don't let him do this to you every game. And that's what McCormick is doing to the to the Rangers now. It's the other night he had six RBIs. It's just unbelievable uh, what these guys are doing and they're rising to the occasion. And I think one of the big things you see in this series is that both teams are missing superstars, right? And so there are differences in the lineup. But the the big difference for me is simply that the Astros bullpen is so much better than the Rangers bullpen. Yeah, that's that's been the difference, simply put. Um, I, I think that, uh, look, the Rangers' approach on Monday night at the plate was really good. Their approach against the Dodgers at the plate was really good. They had championship-level approaches at the plate and, and offensively. Uh, their, their starting rotation is a little bit dinged up right now and a little bit down. Uh, but the problem for the Rangers, as has been all season, is that this bullpen needs help. And so as you approach the trade deadline, um, we can get into how you want to rank needs. But whether it's 1 or 1A, continuing to add to the bullpen has to be a, a big priority for this team. On Monday night, Kevin, when you lose yeah, at, at three different leads, right? You lose three different leads to Houston. Um, that's a demoralizing kind of loss. And I felt like last night or, or Monday or Tuesday night that certainly in the Rangers' demeanor on the field, in some of their at-bats, it looked like they were emotion, a, a little bit emotionally spent. Um, it, it didn't look near – I thought the ninth inning was a nice comeback for them but it looked like they were a little bit beaten. And I was quite frankly last night after talking to Josh Young, who kind of doubled over after the call at the plate that went against the Rangers on, on replay review. You know, he said after the game, feels like nothing's really going our way. And he was talking more about umpires and close calls, but that's the kind of thing that starts to wear on a team. And, and that's what the Rangers now have to fight as well as playing, you know, a really good team on the field. Yeah, that's just a, uh, you know, and we've talked about that, you know, I've gone back to when I said that to Chris Woodward, you know, 10 games into the last season, you know, is that this is a demoralizing thing here when your bullpen pitches like this. This is an ongoing issue with the Rangers and has been now for two years. And uh, uh, and that's after a, a pretty remarkable streak where they did a really good job of putting bullpens together. You know, I always felt like it was one of John Daniels' uh, best, you know, uh, attributes was the fact that he could continually put together a bullpen almost on the fly. They were not committing to anybody long-term, you know, when's the last time they had a, a closer for more than one year? Uh, no, I mean, so, you know, the Joe Nathan, the Joe Nathan was the last time the Rangers invested in a closer. And I always thought that, that John really felt like you could go out and find bullpen arms. And he did year after year, go out and, and find bullpen arms. Um, that has not happened this year. And, you know, Monday night, the Rangers ended up in a situation. It's not like they're not auditioning guys, Kevin, right? I mean, right. you go Monday night, you pitch Chapman in the seventh because you thought that was the highest leverage situation. And you were a little bit short because you had to go to LeClerc in the sixth when John Gray got got um, out of whack again. And you look around, you're in the ninth inning of a tie game, and you've got – you either pitch your closer on the road knowing that the best situation you can have is that you're going to pitch a rookie in the 10th with a runner on base, or you go to a rookie in the tie, in, in the ninth inning uh, of a tie game on the road. So just not great options for the Rangers right now. No, I, I felt really bad for Alex Bees too, because you know, because we know his story, right? Guy, guy quits baseball. He, he you know, he, he has trouble with his command, and and uh, and then he comes back and he's pitching really well in the minor leagues. And then the Rangers throw him right into the fire, and and of course I, they didn't really have any better options to do that. But I, I just wonder what the, how this is going to affect him now. You know, he, he got into two games, lost two games. You know, walking people just. Just not good command, uh, and of course, it's that's not it's it's true not just of him; it's true of everybody. You know, everybody's having a hard time throwing strikes now. All of a sudden, you know, the, the Rangers starting this season were very good at throwing strikes, and now that that has completely deserted them. You know, I and and I don't know. I'm 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 playing you know 
Mr. Uh, uh, you know, pitching coach here. And I, I'm always loath to do that kind of thing. But I, I go back to a guy that used to write me all the time. He was just, he was crazy. I'm sure you got stuff from him too. But one of the things he talked about was in the delivery, these guys need to be finishing toward the plate, which seems a little bit, you know, uh, it doesn't, doesn't everybody do that? And it's like, no, not if you watch the way some of the Rangers are throwing pitches up there. Yuri Rodriguez last night was just yanking pitches off the plate consistently. And it's like, son, just finish your pitches, you know, uh, and it's just frustrating. This is the kind of stuff that you end up saying to yourself when you're watching these games is that, is that when these guys are struggling so hard to throw strikes, it's, it's clear that they're afraid if I throw this and I, and I get it up in the zone, if, I, if I'm a little – if I get it over the plate a little bit, it's just going to get hammered. And that's that's the feeling you get watching it is that now these guys have lost their confidence. It's almost bullpen wide uh, that these guys this way. And now even some of the starters, as you said, John Gray got out of whack. Martin Perez has struggled with his command all year long. Um these are the kind of things that are chipping away a little bit at what should be uh, a you know a fantastic season for the Rangers. You know, to, to get where they are right now after where they were two years ago or even last year for that matter uh, is really remarkable. And so we've all been on board on what they need to be doing at the trade deadline. They need to be doing something. But now it seems like the list is growing a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you're talking about Winning a world championship, if that if if that is now your goal this year, and I, I think going into the season, look, the idea of hey, this team has a chance to play postseason baseball, that was kind of the hope and the expectation. But I think the way you got off to a start, and the way you, and, and after evaluating the rest of the American League, uh, there is every opportunity here for the Rangers to go to the World Series, and so. Now, all of a sudden, you look around and you're saying, okay, all our starting rotation depth has been eroded um, with the injuries to Odorizzi and DeGrom um, uh, and some minor leaguers that were injured as well. You traded away Cole Reagans, who was some of your rotation depth, because you needed to fill a need in the bullpen desperately. And that was a smart trade for a role as Chapman. Um, but yes, you, you can use at least one more starter for the rotation. You can use at least one more arm for the bullpen, and I think most evaluators would say if you really want to win the World Series, you probably need to add two arms. Um, and yeah, you could make a case that as good as this lineup has been, whether it's an everyday left fielder or an everyday DH, the Rangers could use one more bat. So that that is a big list, and I think it is part of what Chris Young has to has to evaluate as the trade deadline continues to creep upon the Rangers. I guess the the potential good news is if you want to fill multiple holes with one guy, this year potentially presents the best opportunity to ever do that. Yeah, pretty good DH slash uh, pitcher, starting pitcher uh, out there, uh, Shohei Otani. Well, Uh, maybe out there. Right? Maybe out there. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about that, Evan, right now. Of course, you wrote that uh, the other day that uh, the Rangers are probably better positioned to make a deal for Otani than anybody else in baseball. And I think that's probably true because of their farm system, because of their salary situation, the payroll situation that they have now, uh, and their and their appetite for it. That's what you got to have, really, is that you got to have a, a, a GM and an owner who are eager to do that kind of thing because – Unlike last year when I campaigned for the Rangers to make a deal for Otani, he's just going to be a rental. I, I really feel like uh, it's going to be difficult for any team other than maybe the Dodgers to resign him if they were to make a deal for him now. I just have a hard time seeing him anywhere other than the West Coast um, and, and, and not the Giants either. They're, they're, they're not the kind of organization that's going to put that kind of bill. Uh, because let's let's just say, you know, What's Otani going to cost somebody anyway, right? 50, 50 million a year, sixty million a year. What's it going to be? I mean, what do you, what do you think? I, I listen. I think when I spoke to people, just kind of playing around with this stuff as Otani chatter continues to to be out there. When I, when I reached out to people the other day, 
the annual values range from 45 million to 60 million over like 10 years, right? So over the course of three hours, it went from about 400 million to maybe 600 million. It's, it's, it's insane to think about. Those are just crazy numbers. But I, I do think this, Kevin, I do think if you're the Rangers, right, you just made a great case. The, the, the chalk says the Dodgers, the chalk says West coast, right? All of that. That's, that's what it says. If you're the Rangers, though, and you want to sign him long term, what is your best potential pitch to him? Is it to bring him in here, give him two months experience around this club, around this manager, around this pitching coach, around in a winning atmosphere, go to the postseason, you know, get your first postseason at bat, your first taste of postseason, maybe win. If you want a recruiting pitch to whatever it's going to take to sign Shohei Otani, if you want to be in that room, aren't these two months, aren't these two months potentially worth something in that derby? Well, there's no question about that in my mind. Let me go back just say really quick, just to dismiss the whole money thing. The thing about the money is, is that you sign Shohei Otani, he's going to make that money back for you. First of all, you're going to you're going to fill up the stadium every time he plays. You're going to be selling a lot of Rangers memorabilia in Japan. You're, you know, everything is going to be made up. So the money is not really that issue. The issue is, do you risk trading a guy, and meaning Ezekiel Duran, who I would believe would be the, the lead piece in this. This is the guy that you can probably afford to give up now uh, because of the, the development of Evan Carter uh, and, and also the drafting and signing of Wyatt Langford. That's two guys who, who can play in your outfield in the next for the next 10 years. There's not really a place for, for Zeke Durant. I don't think that he – I really don't think he's a utility player. He he has done that, but we have seen this year that when he's DHing, he's not the same player. Yeah, When he plays every day, he's much better. I think he, I think he needs to play every day, and I think he needs to play probably at one position. And, that, and I think what, that position is second base. But let me just say this really quickly, is that do you trade him to the Angels and watch him become – like a six-time all-star. You know, that that to me is the real issue here is that for for a guy who is a rental. Kevin, if you I, I think if you're the Rangers, I think the things you have to consider here are yeah, all of that, right? All of what you just said. And you know, there's Chris Young grew up in Dallas. There's certainly many remembrances of Sammy Sosa and Harold Baines trades. Um, but again, this is a team that's never won the world series. This is a team that has a lot of money committed to players who are currently in their prime. Uh, they are, they are poised to go. They have arrived a little bit faster perhaps than this organization thought, but chances to win the world series are few and far between. And I mean, we can, we can look at the Dodgers and if you're the Dodgers, you're probably sitting back and saying, you know what, why should I give up prospects for Shohei Otani right now when I know I'm just going to sign him or I feel like I'm just going to sign him this offseason? But my counter to that would be, with all this diner Dodger dynasty of the last decade, how many World Series does that organization have? How many World Championships does it have? It has one that it really couldn't even celebrate because it came in the middle of the pandemic. And so if these opportunities present themselves, I think you have to think strongly. There is a ton of risk in giving up Ezekiel Durant. There would be a ton of risk in giving up two first-round draft picks in Justin Foscue, who could go to the Angels and be their everyday second baseman, and I think Durant could be their everyday shortstop. And you could, you, there's a ton of risk in giving up Jack Leiter, who was the number two pick overall. But if you are the Rangers and you say, we've got guys in our prime right now, we've got a chance to win the World Series – we potentially have Jacob DeGrom back again at the end of next year. We have a guy who is ready to replace the need that we have for Duran right now, which is in left field in Evan Carter. And you didn't you didn't mention Aaron Zavala, who is also a legitimate outfield prospect. So they've got real outfield depth. I think there are a lot of reasons for the Rangers to push for this trade, and I think that they will try and push for this trade. I think the bigger question is going to be if you're Artie Moreno, and right now as we speak, three games above 500 at the end of August with the best player on the planet and talking to a team 
who you have a long history with of, for lack of a better term, having pissing matches, is your ego going to allow you to make that trade? It may make the Angels better in the long term, but can he stomach making the Rangers a world champion? No. I, I, I agree with you 100% uh, on that, Evan, and, and I think all the points you make are great. And I think the fact is is that what you want, first of all, if you're a Rangers fan, is a general manager willing to push his cards to the center of the table like this. And and that's what Chris Young is. We, we have seen he was part of the deal. Of course, that was John Daniels under John Daniels' direction when they brought Corey Singer and Marcus Simeon here part of the decision that uh, uh, then he was the decision on, on bringing uh, Jacob DeGrom here. He was, he was the decision on hiring Bruce Boshi. These are all big time moves, right? And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm all for all that. And, and I do think that if, if Shohei Otani is available, if he is actually going to be traded, if you're the Rangers, you certainly want to be the team from the American league that makes this. Now, if a team from the National League makes this deal, well, then okay. Uh, but the Rangers don't want to be competing against a team that is going to add Otani at the deadline. Uh, it, it, that's going to be hard. He's been playing on a bad team with the Angels, right? So, you know, yeah, he kills you when he gets up, but he can't carry the entire team. So it, it was one thing for him to be playing for the Angels. It's another thing if he goes to the Yankees or if he, you know, the, the Rays aren't going to make that deal either, I don't think. But, you know, or if, or if he went to the race, well, then that changes the, the dynamics of both of those teams greatly. Uh, and and he and they become much more serious challengers to the Rangers. So I'm all for it all. I, I think in some ways the best thing that can happen for the Rangers really is if the Angels decide not to trade him. Because that way Chris Young can concentrate on making a deal to get himself another starter, get himself a couple of relievers, Send, you know, uh, Zeke Durant someplace where he's not, you're not going to have to look at him for the next 10 years uh, up close like you would if he was with the Angels. I just feel like that that, and, and that way you, you're, you're not taking that risk. I think if Otani is available, you have to take the risk. I think if he's not available, then good. <laughs> then, then you just, you just move on and you just, and you proceed as, as you need to. And I, I think, Kevin, to your point, and I, this is something I wanted to say to you when we were talking, I do think that there is probably some thought that the best case scenario for the Rangers might be that the Angels simply don't trade Otani. Because the Rangers can go out and fill, their, fill some needs, and they could potentially assure themselves um, of the needs that they need or filling some of the needs that they need long-term because they need pitching for next year. And there may be some controllable starting pitching that becomes available in this next four days. If the Angels don't trade Otani, he is walking in free agency at the end of the year. The Angels got nothing but a draft pick for him, and there's still a complete dumpster fire of bad contracts and an aging, you know, and an aging roster so they're not going to be a threat in the AOS. So, you know, you look at the situation if you're the Rangers, and all of a sudden here are the Astros who are starting to age out a little bit, and we're seeing some cracks in the Astros. The Angels lose the best player in the world, don't really get much for them. You know, it could put the Rangers in a position almost by default, and Seattle's certainly still there, but it could almost put the Rangers in position by default to take control of this division for a long, long period, simply by the Angels not trading them Shohei Otani. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So so let's look at the other options then, Evan. If if they if they don't go for Otani or if that doesn't that trade doesn't uh, come off or if the Angels decide not to trade him. We we saw, you know, a guy that I had uh, talked to you about earlier this year, Shane Bieber with with Cleveland. Well, he's out now. He's on the 60-day uh, IL. Uh, and so he's not an option. I think what that does though is it probably removes Cleveland from uh you know, a challenger list, doesn't it? Even though I think they're just in second place at this point, uh, they were a, a borderline contender uh, without Shane Bieber. I wonder if they feel like ah, we're not going to, we're not going to be able to contend now. Does that make Emmanuel Classe available? Um, who are, give us a couple of names of other starters. And, and of course we've talked about the white Sox and a whole raft of pitching there. Not only, not only starters, but, but uh, relievers as well. 
Well, I, the White Sox, uh, as we taped this this morning on Wednesday, the White Sox um, are apparently in some conversations with Tampa Bay about Lance Lynn. So that would potentially take one possibility out of there. And Lance Lynn would make some sense for the Rays who need pitching. And clearly with John Daniels in the, in the Rays front office at this point, there's a connection there on, on that front. Um, I think right now where the Rangers are sitting is – Otani, there's the Otani pile. If you're not on Otani, then you're looking at a bunch of relievers for the time being until somebody makes controllable starting pitching available. If the White Sox make Dylan Cease available, if the Pirates by some chance make Mitch Keller available, um, which I don't think is going to happen in the latter case. If those things were to take place, those are the kinds of guys the Rangers would pivot to on starting pitching. But for right now, I think they are out in mass looking at at relief options. You know, the White Sox are the team that we talk about a lot with Kendall Graveman and Keenan Middleton um, and Bummer, who I always forget his first name because I want to call him Madison Bummer. I think he's Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> I don't think that they will trade uh, Garrett Crochet, but there are multiple bullpen options there in, in Chicago, and I think the Rangers will watch the White Sox closely over the next couple of days. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Seattle does anything, if they make a decision on whether they're a buyer or seller. Paul Seawald is a guy who would hold some interest for me um, there. I also want to see if the Marlins do anything. The Marlins, you know, were, are above 500, but they are on the back edge. They're certainly not going to catch the Braves, and they are on the back edge of the wild card race at this point in time in the National League. They've got a couple of interesting relievers in Tanner Scott and a couple of other guys there. And I, I, um, I know I'm losing a couple. I'm, I'm leaving a couple of names off the list, and I apologize about that. But I really think that currently the Rangers are looking at less sexy names. Um, because they've got to hold all their bigger pieces for the possibility of if Otani does become available. I think they are looking at guys who could pitch who could pitch the sixth or seventh inning in situations like last night or Tuesday night so that the Rangers don't run into a situation where they're having to turn to rookies in high leverage situations. They just need some guys who have done it before. And there are trades, as I, as, as a scout from another team told me, look, this team has the depth of system that if they want to make world championship type moves, they have the ability to do that. And that means they have the high-level prospects to go after a guy like Otani. And if they don't get Otani, maybe Duran becomes a guy that they use in a piece, as, as a piece to headline a deal for a controllable starting pitcher at the end of the, of the trading period. And they have other pieces that they can they can look at for those kind of mid-level relievers to bolster the middle of that bullpen. Um, I just don't think that guys like Emmanuel Classe or David Bednar, two guys I think that both you and I had significant interest in uh, as midseason acquisitions, I don't think that their clubs are interested in giving up the amount of control that they have. And quite frankly, I don't know if a, if, if a buying team wants to give up what would be necessary for control of a relief pitcher because there's so much risk and so much fickleness involved with relief pitchers. Uh, and if you're, if players, if, if opposing teams are asking basically for the equivalent of what you'd have to give up for a position player, uh, that's a high price to pay. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and just because, you know, you have, positions blocked like uh, Duran does. Uh, and and we, we've said this about Foskey almost since they drafted him, that it was a guy who was blocked. Uh, and just because they're good players and, and you and have them available doesn't mean you just throw them away. Uh, you know, there's always the opportunity at some point to make a good deal uh, and and use those uh, to, to acquire the, what you're going to need. I do think, though, that, that without question, uh, that, the you know, just so fans realize this, the Rangers are going to make moves. They, they, you know, Chris Young is not going to go to this trade line without doing anything. They're going to add, in my mind, he's got to add at least two bullpen arms and one starter. Uh, and, and you know, 
even though this this lineup really has pounded the ball all year, uh, I, I don't think that uh, I, I think that there could be. Don't you think there's a possibility that some big league talent might be in, uh, involved in some of these deals, other than just uh, maybe uh, Ezekiel Duran? I'm thinking specifically of Mitch I, I Carver. I mean, I don't know that you could. I just don't know that Mitch Garver's got a lot of value right now. You know, he can't catch on a regular basis, or he hasn't been catching on a regular basis. He's a free agent at the end of the year, um, and he hasn't, you know, he crushed the ball last night, but he hasn't had a great offensive year. I I, I think that the, I do think that if the Rangers find a way to both buy and sell a piece or two, they certainly would be be willing to entertain that. Um, but I just don't know that, quite frankly, I think that maybe the guy that might have a little bit of value to some teams um, is a guy like Travis Jankowski. You know, he has really, he, he's just, a, he's, he's, he's an extra player and he's not going to bring you a ton, but a guy like that who's playing the way he is and who can give you good defense um, as a left-handed hitter, maybe, maybe that's the kind of guy you could trade to another contender that has a little bit of bullpen depth for a piece. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I, I wasn't saying that Mitch Garver was going to bring. I was just saying it's part of a package. You know, if you were if you were trying to put something together and and shove something out, that that he might be part of that. Uh, I there, think there, there are guys piling up like that. Brad Miller. You know, uh, Mitch Garver, you know, you, you mentioned Jan Kowski. I'd have a hard time giving up Jan Kowski now just because he's been so valuable. Uh, but I, he's that really, is the thing. He's, he's the one with value, right? And Brad Miller, if you trade Brad Miller or Mitch Garver, I think it's basically to try and add them somewhere else to take some as, as payroll dumps so that you aren't going too far over the luxury tax threshold because that's what you're going right. to do if you add Otani and relievers. And so, you know, maybe if you, if you're talking with the angels, maybe you can get them to take Brad Miller cause you're taking on all of Otani's salary. And maybe you throw in another prospect or two along with Brad Miller to get, I don't know. To, I, I thought about this last night. Would Jimmy Herget have any interest to the Rangers, the side armor that they once had, who's pitched pretty well uh, at times for the angels. Is there something in the angels bullpen that they could pull out, with Otani if they were willing to give up another another minor leaguer and you know maybe they could the Angels could help them out by absorbing a little bit of salary yeah that makes perfect sense to do that I think if you could I think the Rangers almost have to do that if you're making the deal for Otani you're going to have to get something else back in, in, a, in a bull piece like a bullpen piece like Herget makes perfect sense to me all right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. Uh, that was a lot of ground to cover there uh, with the Rangers, and there's still a lot of things we need to talk about. Of course, uh, the next time this comes around, uh, uh, I may not be with us. Uh, I'm not announcing that I'm, I'm on a terminal case or anything, but I, I may be. I'm going to be on vacation, but I, I'm going to take my. I'm going to take this this little microphone with me on vacation, just because I don't like it when you guys are, are talking behind my back here. Uh, so I, just I know, know that. It, it's one of our great joys is to actually do that. But I hope <laughs> that you can make a little bit of time next Wednesday so we can wrap up this trade deadline. And then you can go and, and drive the boat around the rest of the afternoon. That's exactly right. All right. Uh, so from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks. And we'll see you next time.